Welcome to the Where Humanity Meets Technology podcast, where we talk to business leaders about cybersecurity, data management, and advanced digital solutions to provide strategies to increase the profitability of your company. Now, here's your host, Maurice Hamilton, the CEO of Infinivate Consulting Services. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Infinivate podcast called Where Humanity Meets Technology. This is a podcast where I actually interview CTOs, CIOs, business leaders to look at different solutions where technology actually meets humanity. And it's actually, when we think about it, humanity touches all of us in some aspects, some kind of shape or form here. We just want to have real life conversations with individuals out in the field and see how they're actually working and incorporating blockchain. It could be artificial intelligence. It could be uh, different ideas with infrastructure into their their business organization. I actually have over four decades of experience in IT. My experience ranged from uh, uh, bar resellers to distribution. And I've actually worked with engineering teams all across the globe, I, I should say, in that particular manner. Today, we're actually very honored to meet with Helen Norris. Helen is the Vice President and Chief Information Officer for Chapman University out in Orange, California. So thank you, Helen, for meeting with us. I'm really happy that you're here. Thank you, Maurice. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Thank you. To let our audience know that Helen actually has a master's degree from uh, Webster University, and she holds a bachelor's degree from Trinity College in, uh, from Dublin, Ireland. So very honored again to actually have you here. Thank you. Thank you. So I actually want to ask you a few questions here. And the first question is actually more of a a Genesis type question. And when I think about um, you went from a, a degree in mathematics, what led you to actually going into IT and and actually being in the informational world? That's a little difference, a little variance. That's okay. There. It it is, and you know, I will say though that I see a lot of people who work in IT who've gotten their degrees in other fields. So you know, I don't think um, when you think about a career in IT, I don't think it means you you've had had to get a, a bachelor's degree in computer science or something. But, you know, I, I've been, you mentioned you've been working in technology for four decades. I've been working in technology for a long, long time. And when I went to college, I, you know, there weren't many choices around technical fields. We we didn't really have computers. <laughs> it was a long time ago. We, we didn't have some of the choice that we had today. I was the first in my family to go to college. Um, so I, I was a very naive, I guess, in some ways, college student. I was really good at mathematics. I love mathematics. So that's why I got a degree in mathematics. And I think at the time, especially it was back in the 70s and the early 80s, I, I think I sort of assumed I might be a math teacher. But I actually got a job. I, I took, I decided to take a year off I, and took a year and went to live in what at the time was called Frankfurt, and I, what at the time was West Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked for the U.S. Army as a computer programmer, kind wow. of an entry-level job, entry-level computer programmer job. And I loved it. So I'm very fortunate that I more or less fell into a career that worked for me. So um, I thought with my degree in mathematics, as you point, I thought I might be a math teacher or an accountant or an actuary or something like that. They were the fields that I saw at the time. Um, But I'm very lucky that I was able to 
find something uh, a little bit different. So I encourage young people to try out different things. I mean, there's lots of opportunities these days to do internships or to work when you're a student and to try out a couple of different fields because you'd be surprised at what what really resonates with you when you start to actually do it. That is very interesting. We have some similarities there. You actually was were doing programming. I actually started off as a programmer, programming uh-huh. COBOL, JCL, Assembler, RPG. Mm-hmm. I think it was RPG2, it was called. I, I, I think probably was RPG2, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's amazing. It's amazing how much that technology going from punch card and, yeah. and feeding that information to a, <laughs> a big mainframe and then waiting for that report to print uh, hours later and saying, going yeah. back and do the decoding to figure out where your bugs mm-hmm. are at, you know? Excellent. Okay. So when I think about the role of a CIO, especially in today's society, I know that there are a lot of moving parts when it comes to the role of a CIO. Can you actually uh, help me and my audience here paint a picture of the the practice that go under that particular umbrella? Because I know it's got to be a lot of moving parts, a lot of different teams. How do you actually put that into play when it comes to the, the different practices under the umbrella of a CIO? Yeah, you know, it's interesting when I think about what the role of the CIO is. It really is, even though we're in a technical field and we probably have technical backgrounds like you and me, it's really all about the people. So I think most of my work as a CIO is really about leading my team and collaborating with my colleagues, in my case, across the university for other CIOs across their um, you know, their corporations or other institutions. But in, in my particular organization, you know, I've got the full portfolio of IT services. So I have, you know, IT infrastructure, like, you know, managing the network and the data center and the cloud. And, and um, you know, I've got enterprise systems, day-to-day support and classroom support. So I have all of those functions that report into me. But I'd say my work is in really setting the stage for my team to provide great services in all of those areas. So so the work of the CIO is all about, I think, leadership and communication, uh, communication and collaboration across the organization, and then delivering the needs that you hear from your colleagues across the organization. Okay. So it sounds like a lot of collaboration there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when it actually comes time for planning, I would imagine mm-hmm. like now you're actually getting back into the new the new school, right. school year. Yeah. How does that work? Do you actually come up and say, here's what my number one priorities are for this coming upcoming school year? Do you mm-hmm. actually take a look at that and, and submit them to like a board of directors or make a presentation in front of a board of directors? And they'll come back and say, here's the budget that we've actually allocated for you. And then you actually roll, run with that and put it into play. Well, you know, I do IT planning in the context of the overall organization strategic plan. So our Chapman University is very, this is the word, it's very planful, right? We're very strategic. Um, our president and our board sets our strategic goals, in, in, I'm going to say in five-year slices, you know, so that we have uh, specific things we're, we're accomplishing over five years. We're in the final year of our um, current strategic plan, which really focused, it had a variety of focuses, but, you know, one of the tenets of our strategic plan is we started a school of engineering. And so that was set as at the beginning of our strategic plan. So for me, when I began kind of to think, or when I think about planning for IT projects over a, a year or over the next five years, as I will um, shortly, 
it is all in the context of that strategic plan. So I look at the projects that, as I said, a lot of what I do is about collaboration. So whether it's meeting with the deans and the VPs and so forth across the university all the time, hearing what their needs are and putting those in the context of the strategic plan and then deciding which projects to do from there. We do have a board. Um, we have a formal budget process, like most organizations, that goes through our president, and um, ultimately the overall budget is, is approved by, um, by our board. And so what I do feeds into that. A couple of little nuances, though, that I'd like to note. I, I think, I'm sure you've heard this from your other guests, you know, the last couple of years have been so strange, right, with the pandemic and the lockdown. And a lot of our focus had to be on the immediate. What do we need to do right now to ensure that the university can get things done, can stay in business almost, you know, so that we can mm -hmm. keep our students engaged and that our, our faculty and staff can continue to work. So I would say over the last two years, a lot of previous focus that I had on what are the strategic things I want to get get done, got replaced by what do I need to do to make it through this semester to support the, the campus? That's probably overstating a little bit, but, you know, to support the campus as we go into remote teaching, to support campus as we come into hybrid, to support the campus as we come back. So very tactical, I'd say, for the last two years. So I feel like for me, the beginning of this school year is a bit of a reset, which is great, and a bit of an opportunity for us to be thinking of more long-term strategic things. As I mentioned, we're at the end of a strategic plan, which means we're kicking off a strategic planning process for the campus. So that's a great timing for me. And so I could push my IT strategic planning as part of that. Does that kind of make sense? It, it makes perfect sense. And, and there are so many different thoughts when you mentioned that, because you're right, the correlation is just like with everybody else. There's no different just mm -hmm. because you're like I said, you're a business and you still have to act in that particular manner. And I was just thinking about with the pandemic, everybody had to come up with some kind of resolution, yep. say, how do we adjust? How do we shift? How do we acclimate yeah. to a new way of actually doing, mm -hmm. doing work? And it brings up another question I was just thinking about with um, with with the universities. It used to be with some of our clients we would actually sell them a, a, a series of notebooks. We would actually load the applications on those notebooks and we would actually say, okay, they'll take the notebooks, make sure they have the asset tag on it. So we're mm -hmm. assigning this, this notebook to this particular individual. And then you can monitor it. You can actually manage it. You can see, uh, make sure you have your, your cybersecurity protection, everything on it. Uh, but now it, has it evolved a little bit more to more as BYOD, bring your own devices or is yeah. it, okay, so it's pretty much everybody still, Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I think that's a, a really interesting question. For the most part, um, well, first of all, prior to the pandemic, even prior to the pandemic, but really accelerated by the pandemic, a lot of our systems, I guess, had really moved to a SaaS model to where they're cloud-based. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's much less dependence on software that's loaded on a PC, right? So for for our students, you know, the things and our faculty, the things they're working in all the time are, are now mostly cloud-based, whether it's our learning management system, or even when you think about, even for our, our staff, the traditional office tools that we, we all work with, many of them have become cloud-based. So mm -hmm. there's much less dependence, I think, on the device. So 
we have really focused on on that. You know, it's in the cloud. You can get to it anywhere from any time from anywhere. Okay, I think I said mm-hmm. that right. You know, you can get to it anytime, anywhere. Um, we've tried to. It's, not always possible, but where we can have kind of a virtual lab experience for students and faculty so that they can use their own device and hit our labs and, and use some of the virtual software there. Not a, It's not amenable. Not every um, piece of software is amenable to it, but that's something that we've really been pushing over the last few years so that the students do, uh, for the most part, rely on their own devices. We do have a couple of programs where there are much more specialized tools that are used, uh, like, for instance, in some of our health sciences fields, there's some of those that are, it's much more specialized, right? And there's specific add-ons even that maybe have to be on a, on a device. And so in those cases, we do on occasion provide devices to our students. But for the most part, I'd say 90% of our students at least are, are doing, it's kind of the BYOD thing, you know, and they're using their own devices. So we just make sure to provide them access to the services that they need, which are overwhelmingly cloud-based at this point. Okay. And I, I would, and I, I know from experience, and you can probably collaborate and answer this too, it's much more easier to manage that particular case because you can turn it on, turn it off and yeah. modify. Okay. It is. It, it's different. It's a, it's a di- there are different sets of challenges, right? So you don't have to patch all of everyone's everything and, you know, but you do have to have good ways to, to really protect the data that's in the cloud. So we rely very heavily on things like multi-factor authentication and uh, segmenting maybe, or, you know, placing different trusted devices in different places. So, you know, it's just a a different way of of managing footprint, our technological footprint. Okay. And and I was just thinking about this. I remember when I went to uh, school out in uh, East Mm -hmm. in Georgia, Georgia State, and we had to do a lot of research yeah. And some of the research, we have to make sure that we can uh, obtain the journals like HBR, the American mm-hmm. Journal of Economics, all the different journals. And and Georgia State at that time, they actually did a collaboration with the University of Georgia. So all the students, we were pretty much sharing all that information that was pretty much out in the cloud. Is that yeah. the same? You guys do a collaboration, mm-hmm. work with other universities in the same manner? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's an interesting topic. Actually, um, in, in our situation, the library actually reports into me. And that part of that is because I think over the last several years, libraries have moved from being, you know, you don't go in and check out a book anymore, right? In fact, <laughs> I it, it's it, but they're providing so much content and so much material to our students. In fact, our president likes to say, I use the library every day. I don't go into the library but I use it every day. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, everything that we're offering, we um, typically, there's a couple of ways we do it. We You mentioned HBR. It's a great example. You know, we contract with different providers to have journals available to us, to all of our students. And we also participate. While we don't, I don't think we have a relationship like you described between the University of Georgia and Georgia State, mm-hmm. but we participate in some broad systems like interlibrary loan even where i think today interlibrary loan can include some online resources so that it's not just about in the old days interlibrary loan is well if the book was at even if we were in it and georgia state was in it we could even get a book from georgia state you know mm-hmm. so we rely pretty heavily on interlibrary loan even now 
But I, I think one of the transformations we're seeing at our university, and I think it's true across the country, in fact, across the world, is that the library has really become a place of research. Uh, it always was, but it's a much more an electronic way, right, that we're mm-hmm. providing more and more virtual options. We still have, you know, primary source documents in the library, but uh, students are using the um, the online resources. What's also interesting is what it's done for us. I know I'm kind of veering off the topic a wee bit, but because we've actually removed many books and other things from our library, now we have far more space for our students. So, in fact, I was over in our library yesterday, and I was really blown away at how many more students were in the library studying, finding. Now, we had a heat wave yesterday, so it was good to be indoors, you know. So, But it's reinforced, I think, the, the library's mission in that we're providing the materials online and in the cloud and and virtually, but the library still exists as a central place on campus where students go and where students gather. They're just not gathering to to look at books. They're gathering to work on their their projects and to to do the research in the cloud. Wow, and that goes back and 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 you're painting a very great example how the, uh, what the world looks like from a CIO perspective here, Mm -hmm. because early on you mentioned about the, like, for example, the new school of engineering. Well, you probably have a dozen or dozens of of different schools that you have to work with and manage. And (laughs) and I'm pretty sure some of the the asks they they provide to you or they give to you are pretty similar, but they're they're probably a little bit different too. Mm -hmm. You know, like you said, the school of, you have a school of health there, right? uh, We have uh, a health science. Health sciences, that's what it was. It's probably (laughs) different from that engineering. Yeah. It is. There yeah. are lots of things that, that are the same. You know, we provide tools at a campus-wide level, you know, tools for students to collaborate. Um, our learning management system, for example, it is consistent across the university, things like that. But then we augment those maybe locally where, you know, the School of Pharmacy needs a particular tool, often lab-based in, in the health sciences or mm-hmm. a, another area needs something that really relates to that particular, you know, in the humanities, you know, so we have a lot of things in the humanities where perhaps we're working with yesterday when I was in the library, I I met with my colleague who a faculty member who's a poet. I know that sounds you don't normally think technology and poetry together, Mm -hmm. but really to provide in her writing class, some technology that encourages students to write and to read. And so those are important things that that we can where we can help the students. Okay. And so you you really provided a great example when I talk about how Technology really touches all aspects of humanity. Yeah. And that's yeah. an example where I never would have thought about it in that particular manner, but you just gave me a, gave us a great example how that actually works. Okay. Yeah, I really liked what you said at the beginning that, you know, it's all about the humanity. You know, it's people before technology. So right. my job is all about the people. And mm-hmm. I, I think sometimes we get enamored of the technology, but we need to be thinking about the people. I, I'm glad you said that because that's why I made it where humanity touches technology. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. really humanity, people first. Mm-hmm. Right. So I have to ask one final question here. Sure. And at, from from a CIO's perspective, what actually is one of those pain points? What are the one of those things that keep you up at night? What are some mm-hmm. one of those things that you said you you it's always there, no matter what you do, it's yeah. always there. 
Well, you know, I, t- I try to sleep well at night. I do, <laughs> you know. Well, I think the obvious answer that you'll hear from many CIOs is that security is something that's always there and that we always have to deal with and that we'll continue to deal with. We pay a lot of attention to security like everybody does and with the goal of not having to stay up at night because, you know, something went wrong or or we've got an additional risk that we didn't really anticipate or we didn't we didn't really plan for. So I think I always have to think about technology um or sorry, security to and the thing that's great is uh these days, you know, our management, our board are really supportive of anything we need to do to keep the university safe, which I think has not specifically at Chapman, but I think in the past, there wasn't always great awareness at the board level of how critical information security is. And I I mean that in a general sense, not here at Chapman. And so I think now boards and senior leadership are very aware of the issues related to information security. And so they're they're very receptive to things that need to be done to manage the information security footprint. I also, on a completely different topic, I, I also think the other thing that we really have to think about as CIOs is the level of service that we provide to the, to the people that we work with. So that's something that I think we always have to focus on. I think it probably does tie in to information security a little bit sometimes. Mm-hmm. People think of information security as a barrier to customer service, but I think you can manage it so that you can provide great customer service in a secure way. But, you know, customer service really matters. You know, I I want people who come to my organization for help to go to go away and think that was a really good experience. Wow. Yeah, that's really I'm really happy that you said that because I and I was going to make a podcast on customer service and mm-hmm. a lot of people is customer service has really changed mm-hmm. and we can like actually compare customer service to pre-pandemic yeah. during pandemic and post-pandemic yeah. Yeah. and now i'm actually experiencing situations where where it's, sometimes it's tough and difficult to reach someone on the phone it is yeah so it's a little different now when you think about customer service mm-hmm. now the levels of customer services with different organizations have changed and mm-hmm. so i'm glad you brought that that point that that is a that's a little topic right a mini topic by it, itself it sure is <laughs> helen i really want to thank you for taking time out of your busy day to actually to provide us with a perspective of the the world of a CIO, the v, vice president and CIO. So you have a little bit more additional responsibilities there, mm-hmm. and um, how you actually explain it to us and how what that looks like. And uh, and I really want to thank you for that. And this has been an awesome interview. And thank you for that. Thank you, Maurice. I've enjoyed it too. Thank you. So everyone, please feel free to actually follow us, follow our podcast on YouTube or and follow our podcast actually out there on Spotify or Apple. And we're really happy that uh, you're actually subscribed to one of our newsletters or to our case studies that we actually have out on our website. And uh, again, thank you, Helen. And, and thank, thank you, audience. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from your host, connect with Maurice on LinkedIn at Maurice Hamilton. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.